Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. if you don't have a job tomorrow and then what is the future so today is all about the future a lot of t- a lot of it about your job so you can look into the future and take a proactive or evasive action as the case may be today so as you know technology is taking over the world as fast as possible you know pretty soon uber will have driverless cars and uber drivers will not work but there's something else more important going on Underneath that is that most of the people on Wall Street, especially if you watch Bubble Vision, CNBC, they're always talking about growth, growth, growth. Growth is the magic word to them because growth means the economy is rising. But the question is, will there be growth? So this program is a very important program. It's about the future, the possibility of job. But a more enlightened question would be, what happens if you didn't have to work anymore? What would you do with your life? What happens if you didn't have to work anymore? What if you were financially free? So there's good news and bad news, as with all Rich Dad radio shows. Any comments, Kim? Well, I'm very excited about today's show because, you know, we talk a lot about financial growth, what's happening economically, all of this. But we're going to talk today about really actually the fundamentals of what drive growth. And our guest says that the IT revolution is less important than the five great inventions that powered economic growth from 1870 to 1970. So these great inventions that we're going to talk about uh, is what fueled all of our growth, and now that growth may be slowing and may be over. So our guest today is Robert J. Bob Gordon. He's a macroeconomics professor at Northwestern University, where my father went to school. So today's program is about the future. So welcome to the program, Robert J. Bob Gordon. He's the author of The Rise and Fall of American Growth. Not only that, he's one of the most respected macroeconomic professors, economists in the world today. So what do you have to say about uh, the future of or what's going on in the economy? Could you compare the industrial age, which was electricity and cars and gasoline and all that, to the information age? Well, let's go back and just get some basic um numbers in mind. Uh, from 1920 to 1970, the middle five decades of the 20th century, uh, labor productivity grew at about 3% per year. In the last six years, it's grown at only half a percent per year. That is one-sixth as much. So we have to figure out why productivity growth has slowed down so much and what that means for the future. If we look back to the middle of the 20th century, what propelled growth was the impact over about 50 years of the great inventions that started in the late 19th century, electricity, the internal combustion engine, the different kinds of inventions in entertainment and communications that brought us the telephone, phonograph, radio, TV, and motion pictures, uh, chemicals, plastics, antibiotics is a fourth group, and then a fifth group is everything involving 
running water, indoor bathrooms, um, all those things arrived in the United States more or less at the same time. Uh, invented in the late 19th century, rolling out in the early 20th century, having the big impact on productivity in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, now today, we've been benefiting for 50 years by the digital revolution, the con conversion from paper and typewriters to computers. But in my view, most of the productivity-enhancing achievements of the digital revolution have occurred a long time ago. They happened in the 1980s when we got personal computers with their spreadsheet and word processing software that completely replaced uh, typewriters, retyping, file cabinets, paper, and calculating machines. And we moved on with the Internet search engines and e-commerce in the 1990s. Um, but if you look back over the last 10 years, since 2005, in the business office space uh, where most people work, uh, they're still doing the same things with the same laptops and desktops that they did back then. The smartphone is a great invention, but it's mainly for social networking and consumer welfare and game playing. Uh, it has not had a big impact on business productivity. So when you talk about the IT revolution, uh, we really had an earlier one in the 80s and 90s that had a big impact on productivity, but that's pretty much over. So what, what I'm saying is this, the industrial age, keep, I, I keep things really simple. Industrial age actually created jobs, but the information age isn't. Is that a simple way of saying it? No, we've been creating uh, plenty of jobs. Remember, we've, been, uh, we've created close to 15 million jobs since the um, end of the recession in the middle of 2009. And the slower productivity grows, the more you need workers uh, to man all the uh, different types of occupations. Um, if you look at the supermarket, when you go into it, uh, the goods are still stacked on the shelves by humans. The uh, meat and cheese is still sliced behind the deli counter by humans. Uh, you still have humans uh, doing the checking out. Uh, barcode scanning made the checkout process faster, but it did not eliminate the humans. My own local supermarket has just taken out the self-serve kiosks um, that people used to check themselves out and have replaced it by express lanes uh, driven by humans. So uh, this slow productivity growth is actually good for jobs, and the areas where modern technology is removing workers is pretty limited, and as many new jobs are being created in both high-end information technology programming jobs and also in, of course, many low-end service jobs in fast food and uh, retail stores. So what, what, uh, you're but, saying, what you're saying is there's no increase in high-paying jobs for the so-called uneducated worker. Well, for, for most of the last 10 years, we've, what we've been lacking are good middle-class uh, blue-collar jobs and white-collar jobs. Uh, the middle-income blue-collar jobs have been decimated by the outsourcing of manufacturing that's been such a big issue in the presidential campaign. Uh, the uh, digital revolution of the 80s and 90s uh, did take away a lot of jobs of um, secretaries and typists who used to do repetitive retyping. E-commerce and airline and hotel websites has taken away a lot of jobs for travel agents. Uh, it's interesting that the ATM uh, automatic cash machine did not take away uh, all the jobs for bank tellers. We still have more bank branches than ever and almost as many bank tellers as we did uh, 10 or 20 years ago. So this idea that computers are going to take over for all our jobs is just a myth. It's, to, it's not happening. 
the role of artificial intelligence and big data is working on the fringes of our economy. We're getting voice recognition. We're getting language translation. We're getting legal searches that are drying up the uh, part of the labor market for young lawyers. But these things are really a drop in the bucket in the vast expanse of our economy with its 150 million jobs and its uh, $18 trillion of output. Okay, so, so, what, so what you're saying here is that growth isn't going to happen ult- ultimately because the industrial age was growth. There's going to be less growth now? That's right. There's going to be less growth in the future than there was either in the 1990s when we had the Internet Revolution or more particularly in the uh, middle five decades of the 20th century. So, what, is, so the, what does no growth mean to you? No growth means to me that growth will be slower. It'll be a half to 1% instead of 2 or 3%. Uh, that means that we'll have uh, ever-growing problems in funding our pensions and funding our Social Security and Medicare. Government tax revenues grow, uh, rise more slowly, of course, when people's incomes uh, rise slowly. Uh, there's an old phrase called the zero-sum society. If you're not growing, then to have more of some things, you have to give up others. And so we'll be in, in a uh, continuous political battle about um, what we give up in order to have more of something else. Once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about uh, money. We're talking to Bob Gordon. He's a macroeconomist. He's a professor of Northwestern University. His book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, is said to be the Bible for economists for the next 50 years because he's talking about what's going to happen in the future and what does a new economy look like, especially if there is no growth. And he said it to most, he hit it right on the head, which is my concern, is our pensions, especially for the old guys like the baby boomers, may not be funded now. Is that correct? Well, we know for a fact that the Social Security system is going to run out of money in about 2030, about uh, 13 years from now. And uh, Medicare is going to run out of money a little bit sooner. Uh, So we're facing a future in which either the benefits are going to have to be cut or else taxes are going to have to be raised. Now, that's not such a great tragedy. Uh, Social Security taxes were raised back uh, 20 or 30 years ago, and they kept the the system solvent uh, for uh, the last few decades. Uh, so we're going to have to do something like that again. We're going to have to have a big reform in our entitlement programs, um, and uh, that includes Medicare, not just uh, Social Security. But inevitably, we, we've got the retirement of the baby boom generation going on. Uh, it started in 2008. It's going to go on through the middle of the 2030s uh, when the oldest of the uh, the people who are born latest, that is the youngest of the baby boom generation, will be retiring about 15 or 20 years from now. So during this whole period, uh, the percentage of people in the population who are old is growing and becoming more of a burden for the smaller number of working people to support. So, so Bob, going back to, to these, five, um, these five inventions, these five transformations, it says you said that between 1870 and 1940 that that was what real transformation looked like. We got, we got pl- indoor plumbing. We got electricity. We got cars. We got real change. And now you're saying that this, it's all slowing, and there's probably that was a one-time event, and that this, the progress is going to slow, growth is going to slow because of, a, because of headwinds. You talk about headwinds. What, what, well, before, what does that mean? Well, before I talk about headwinds, let me just give you a couple of examples of how uh, growth can't continue the way it uh, did in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, we learned to fly in the Boeing 707 at uh, 80% of the speed of sound, uh, by 1958, 
And now, 60 years later, we're flying at exactly the same speed, even somewhat slower. Uh, we went from a rural to an urban society. Once we're an urban society, we can't make that transformation again. We went from rooms that were hot in the summer and cold in the winter to rooms that were even temperature all year round, thanks to central heating and air conditioning. We could only go through that transition once. So that's the idea, that those things made a tremendous difference to economic growth and productivity. Just think of the uh, productivity-enhancing effects of air conditioning for people working inside. Uh, now, moving into the future, uh, we do have these headwinds that go beyond this, the flagging innovation, the fact that the inventions aren't as important as they used to be, uh, and they include education. We're not uh, rising the uh, educational attainment of the population the way we did back in the mid-20th century when everybody started going to high school and then a substantial number of people going to college. We have tremendous burdens now on people with college tuition and college debt, uh, so the percentage of the population going to college is not rising as much. We have the demographic burden, the old people, the retirement of the baby boomers. That's the second headwind. The third one is inequality. We've had a continuous rise in the percentage of uh, our incomes is going to the top 1%. And over the last uh, two decades, uh, the growth rate of income in the bottom 99% has been a full half point slower than in the top, uh, than in the average for everyone, including the top 1%. So this slow growth is partly due to the fact that so much is being siphoned off to the people at the top. Correct. And then the fourth headwind is what I mentioned before, uh, the coming fiscal crisis as we uh, run out of money to fund Social Security and Medicare. So once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Our guest today is a renowned Bob Gordon. He's a professor at Northwestern University. It's the rise and fall of American growth. And he's talking to you about one of the most important words for guys like me in the investment world. The word is called growth. What happens if growth stops? What happens to the whole economy after that? If you listen to this program two, three times, you'll, you'll see a whole new future because today is about looking into the future. You can also listen to the program with friends and family and discuss what the heck are you going to do for your future because tomorrow's world was not like yesterday's world. Our guest today is Robert J. Bob Gordon. He's a macroeconomist. He's a professor at Northwestern University. And I'm very excited about reading his book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth. Any comments? Yes, I have a question for Bob because we were talking in the first segment about the, the great inventions that happened, electricity, plumbing, door plumbing, uh, uh, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, all of that. Uh, Bob, you make a really good example in your book about Hurricane Sandy, when Hurricane Sandy hit, and that kind of took people back to that time. Well, as you know, in, in uh, New York City below 34th Street, all the electricity went out for several days. And all of a sudden, we lost some of the great inventions of the 20th century. We lost the elevator so people couldn't get to their apartments and to their jobs. We lost the subway so people lost that great invention. The, the New York subway began in 1904. Uh, of course, people couldn't charge their computers or their uh, cell phones, so we lost the benefits of the digital age. And uh, we lost the benefits of air conditioning, in many cases uh, central heating as well. So the... Uh, the world reverted back to something more like the uh, 19th century. In some places, they even lost water pressure, and so they couldn't enjoy the uh, late 19th century invention of the indoor bathroom. The way, one way to remember the, the great inventions is that in 1870, the house was completely isolated. But by 1940, the average American 
urban house was connected five ways to electricity, gas, telephone, running water, and sewage removal. Um, and that's just a, a something that happened in a mere 50 years. Since the last 70 years, since 1940, what have we achieved? What have we gone beyond that? It's mainly computers and communications. The question is, how does that impact you and me? Because as a guy who's in markets all the time, you know, without growth, everything stops. Everything stalls. So what, what does the individual do? Then can, we can talk about what government could do. Well, um, if we look forward and we're talking about individual choices, uh, the first choice is what kind of jobs people should be looking at. Uh, and they should try to get the best uh, training they can for the digital age, uh, learning programming, uh, learning how to uh, work with and operate the latest machinery and equipment uh, we need in uh, the United States to do something like they've done in Germany for more than 100 years, which is to have a uh, apprenticeship program co-sponsored by the government and private firms that teach people the skills they need. And that's one reason the German economy is... Uh, so successful. At the individual level, of course, people are listening to your show to figure out how they should invest. And we have a general agreement among economists that the uh, the regular uh, interest rate that we can expect to have in the future has declined substantially uh, from what we got used to in the past. So in the past, we may have been used to returns of 4, 5, 6% on corporate bonds, 3 or 4% on government bonds. And we're not going to see that anymore. Uh, we keep um, uh, we keep in this range with the 10-year government bond rate at around 1.5%, far lower than it has averaged in the past. And that means that people just can't accumulate money for their retirement uh, by being in government bonds. Turn to stocks. Are stocks going to be better? Well, we've got uh, pension funds making a bet that their future returns are going to be 7 or 8%, and that's how they're... Uh, many pension funds are using discount rates that high, but how can the stock market grow at seven or eight percent if the economy is growing at only uh, two or three percent, two percent more likely? Um, and that means that uh, the uh, kinds of returns in the stock market can't be much higher than the uh, growth of the economy. We've already had a buoyant five years of corporate profits, with profits being a, as big a share of the uh, total economic pie as they have uh, ever been. So what, so so we what, can't, so what would you we say can't to the? Can't look forward to a stock market going up just because profits get higher. Yeah. So what would you say to them? What would you? What? What? How, what does your crystal ball say when you look into the future? Let's say ten down, ten years down the road. What do you see going to happen in the stock market, especially? First of all, I think in the in the near term, over the next two or three years, we're going to have a vintage economy with a low unemployment. Uh, steady growth. We have a, a real machine going on now where um, people are gaining jobs at the rate of 150 or 200,000 a month. Uh, that gives them more income. They spend the income. That raises consumption. That raises GDP. All the forecasts for the last half of 2016 are uh, much better than the slow growth we had in the first half of the year. Uh, so we're going to be in a, a situation where labor markets are going to tighten. It's going to be easier for people who've had a lot of difficulty to find jobs. Uh, it'll be more easy. Uh, the, the 
tightness of labor markets is going to push up on wages, and that's going to continue with uh, consumption getting better. So uh, we're going to have a, a period of economic stability and uh, slow but uh, reliable growth, I think, for the next uh, two or three years. Um, and that means that the um, stock market will continue to uh, inch ahead, not at 7 8 10 or 15% a year, but at 3 to 4% a year. And I think the stock market is definitely a better place to be than bonds at the moment. If the Fed ever does tighten and it keeps putting off its tightening, uh, interest rates are going to go up and people are going to make capital losses on bonds. Um, and I think the the uh, for lack of a better place to go, um, a lot of retirement money is going to continue to be put in the stock market. Good. Well, you're a lot more optimistic than me. Once again, for the radio show, we're talking to Robert J. Bob Gordon. He's a macroeconomist with a particular interest in unemployment, inflation, and both the long-run and cyclical aspects of labor productivity. He's a professor at Northwestern University. He's the author of The Rise and Fall of American Growth. Again, the most important word in my vocabulary is growth because I don't see much growth and I don't see sustainability. And the headwinds you talk about, I agree with. Any comments, Kim? I, I do, Bob. We have a lot of listeners who uh, either have their own business or want to start their own business. What, what do you see for entrepreneurs? Uh, I see a lot of opportunity. The technical age has not gone away, um, but that uh, opportunity is spread over uh, everything from 3D printing to uh, big data to artificial intelligence to autonomous vehicles to medical care to drug uh, development. The, uh, the cost of... Uh, doing innovating thanks to modern computers is less than it was before. The big problem is, of course, that uh, most of the big uh, inventions, like the replace of the typewriter and repetitive retyping, things like that, have already happened. And so the the chance to make a buck is still there, but the chance to have a big impact on productivity in the overall economy, I think, is pretty much in the past. So, you know, the keeping it real simple, the Western world, which is U.S., Japan, Europe, and all that, they're old. We have a huge baby boom population that is going to need, you know, diapers. And then in the emerging markets, which is India, China, Vietnam, all those guys, South America, Africa, they have a very young population, Middle East especially. So how is that going to affect the balance throughout the world? We have an old world, and you have a new young world that's tech-savvy and cyber-smart. That's right, and more of the inventions are going to happen in the uh, emerging markets. When I say that growth is going to slow, I'm, not, I'm just referring to the developed world that you referred to, Japan, North America, uh, Western Europe. Uh, there's still plenty of room to grow for the emerging markets of Asia, Africa, and Latin America as they catch up to the standard of living of the developed countries, and I expect that growth will continue. Uh, the enormous Chinese success of the last 30 years provides a lesson uh, we're going to see uh, countries like Vietnam mimicking the Chinese achievement, uh, and uh, overall world growth will be substantially faster. What, what, what would you say the Chinese? What was what was the what's Vietnam going to mimic? Because I do a lot of business in China and Vietnam. What are they going? What's Vietnam going to copy, copy from the Chinese? The Chinese have put a tremendous amount of their GDP into investment in infrastructure and in education. Uh, one of the big differences between uh, at the development path in Africa and China has been the enormous uh, investment in roads, railroads, telephones, cities, and and uh, education. The Chinese are turning out millions of people from their university system. 
Um, and that's a model for the rest of the world to have an investment-led growth strategy. So in the, in the U.S. Or, or globally, what's the, what is, do you see the, what's the most significant invention you see coming? I think that uh, I usually put the emphasis on artificial intelligence. I think mm. computers will gradually learn to do more things that humans do. They already uh, do. <laughs> Man. And, uh, but before we get scared about the jobs going away, in many cases the computers are working with people rather than um, replacing them. We have robots helping with surgery. Uh, we have uh, people coming to your house to repair things, bringing handheld computers with them, but the people are still coming. Uh, we're a long way from getting rid of the drivers in cars uh, and completely having a, a driverless car with literally nobody uh, in it besides the passengers. Uh, I think we're going to have a slow and steady progression as artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles well, Bob, you know, well, very slowly. Yeah. Wish, I wish I could go on for a long, long time with you because this is a fascinating subject. It's one of my studies. So I want to thank you for your time and uh, keep up the good work. Once again, our guest is Robert J. Bob Gordon. He's the author of The Rise and Fall of American Growth. Our program today is Can You See the Future and What Can You Do Today? A big question is what will happen to your job? Can a robot do your job? Are you that unimportant today? I mean, what happens if... I mean, I hope I am. I hope somebody robot replaces me. <laughs> As my rich dad said, you know you're rich when you don't need a job because don't make a lot of money. That's when you're really rich. So our guest today is Martin Ford. He's a futurist, New York Times bestselling author. He is the leading expert on robot revolution, artificial intelligence. I always laugh at that word because I'm pretty artificial with intelligence. And job automation and the impact of accelerating technology on the workplace, economy, and society. In other words... A lot of stuff is coming down the road. He's the author of The Rise of Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future. God, what a wonderful idea. And also Lights in the Tunnel, Automation, Accelerating Technology, and the Economy of the Future. So, Martin, it sounds like you're, selling, you're sounding an alarm for a lot of these guys who need a job. Well, yeah, to some extent it is. It's an alarm for everyone, for society in general. I think technology is moving at a rate that we've never seen before and things that are, are going to happen that we've never seen before. You know, we're going to have a huge impact maybe 10 to 20 years from now, somewhere in that time frame. We may really need to rethink our whole economy in terms of the way it works. So before we get into what do you see coming in the future, a question for every employer is this. Would you rather hire a robot or a human? Well, I think the answer, you know, <laughs> the vast majority of time no. is going to be a robot. Yeah. I mean, robots don't get sick. Uh, they show up on time every day. They don't day have workman's comp. They don't there. complain. Yep. No, no social complain. security. They don't get sued. Uh, no health care, right? Yeah. No, so, no lawsuits. Mean, the, the, the advantages to having a robot or, or some kind of technology replace a worker are very, very compelling. And, of course, that's been one of the things that's always driven capitalism. You know, that's, that's part of progress. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. The thing is, though, that it's, it's going to move faster from this point on. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, Martin, I was, I was just work, working at my gym recently, and the guy in there that I know is, I'm talking to him, and I'm saying, what, what are you working on now? And he goes, I got, I got one last big project. And I'm like, what's the project? He goes, I'm building kiosks for McDonald's. And I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, worldwide, McDonald's is concerned about the rising minimum wage. And so they're going to replace their workers at the front line with kiosks to take orders. And this is McDonald's globally, and if McDonald's does it, you know Burger King's going to do it, and KFC's going to do it, and 
I mean, it's just a ripple effect, isn't it? That's right, yeah. It's kind of inevitable, especially in fast food, and it's not just ordering kiosks. It's going to be actual robots that, that make the hamburgers as well. There, in fact, there's a company in San Francisco uh, that's just now opening up a storefront where you'll be able to go in and buy a hamburger that was produced by a robot, and they're doing that to essentially test their technology before they you know, roll it out on a, on a broader scale. So this is, this is happening right now. So did it taste good? <laughs> uh, I, I haven't tried it, but what I've heard is that it's you know it's a gourmet level burger. Oh, or, it or reminds me the McDonald's. Reminds me back to those automatic cafeterias where you just go in and had all the machines there and no people. Yeah, no, I, it, it's you know the robots are. It's not just vending machines that make bad coffee and all that anymore. <laughs> they're, they're 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 a lot more sophisticated, um, and so it's you know it's not something to take lightly. That's for sure. So tell us what else you see. What else do you see? Well, you know, it's not. We talk a lot about robots because you know that's very visual and, and it is. Yeah, it looks compelling. human. But but in most cases, it's not really robots at all. In many cases, it's only software. And this is one of the most important things that, that's happening because we still have this kind of perception that, well, robots and automation are going to come for the fast food workers or the people that work in factories or warehouses. You know, people that don't necessarily have lots of education, but actually that's changing very rapidly, and technology is beginning to come for more skilled jobs. And if you've got a job sitting in front of a computer, writing reports or um, doing some kind of analysis for a company, you know, all of that is becoming susceptible. And, of course, that's not a robot at all. It's just software. Can you replace attorneys? Uh, well, you know, to, to some extent that's happening, yeah. I mean, part of what uh, lawyers and, and uh, paralegals do is they review documents. They go look at documents and figure out are those relevant or not. And they used to spend a huge amount of time doing that. And now it's all done algorithmically. And, and um, what about and what about doctors? Uh, doctors is, is happening gradually. It depends on what they're doing. Uh, an example of a doctor that could probably be entirely replaced would be a radiologist, right? A doctor that looks at medical images because computers are getting fantastically good at looking at visual images and figuring out what's there, recognizing those images. Um, so, for example, an image of a tum tumor is something that a machine may someday be able to interpret better than a person. So, uh, so are, are, anything that's routine and repetitive and, and uh, predictable is ultimately going to be susceptible. So are there a huge number of jobs. Are there any jobs that are going to be safe down the road, or are we talking about well, full unemployment? Know, well, in the, for the foreseeable future, if you've got a job that demands genuine creativity, where you're really coming up with new ideas, building something new, I think that's going to be relatively safe. If you've got a job that is really dependent on deep human interaction, um, where you're really working closely with people and have a deep relationship there, an example would be a nurse or a social worker, those types of things. Um, and also some skilled trade-type jobs where you have lots of mobility and dexterity, electricians and plumbers and so forth. It's going to be a long time before we can build a robot that can do what a plumber can do, for example. You know, there isn't any limit to this. There's no point at which you can say it's going to get this good, but it's not going to get any better. I mean, it just keeps getting better and better, and eventually, um, you know, it could just be an enormous impact. So you say it's going to accelerate and accelerate and then accelerate upon acceleration. Well, I mean, it's been accelerating now for decades, and that's the reason that we are at the point where we are now, where things are now moving so fast. There's an example I gave in my book where the, uh, Microsoft came out with the Kinect, which is a video game thing, but there's a, a, a computer vision component in that that, was, that really revolutionized uh, what was happening in robots because they just, they just picked up that piece of technology and used it in other places, and that's what's happening all over the case. So, so. so Martin, do we, are we going to need to like, transform our whole economic 
system here? I mean, what, if all these people are, cannot get jobs or are out of work because technology has replaced them, what, what happens? I just see, I see thousands upon thousands of people without jobs. That's right. And it's, ultimately, it could lead to a situation where we really need to think differently. And, and, and you know, the other side of that is it's not just people being unemployed. It's not having consumers to drive the economy. Um, right. You know, you, you need people out there to buy the stuff being produced. And, of course, if people don't have jobs or if the wages are driven down to really low levels, then you don't have that, that demand to drive the economy. And, it, and in fact, I, I would argue that there's some evidence of that already. I mean, we already – I'm sure you've had other guests on talking about how the middle class is eroding and how uh, interest rates are at, like, zero yes. because, because there really isn't vibrant demand out there in the economy. and. So I, I think personally that technology is already playing a role in that, and that could well accelerate and get us into a situation where we've got lots of unemployed people and we've got a stagnant, maybe even, you know, economy that's kind of spiraling, spiraling down into deflation. Uh, what do we do about that? One idea is to have some kind of a guaranteed income so that everyone will have at least a minimal income, whether they can find a full-time job or not. And yeah, they're called politicians. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. We have to extend that's, that to that's... everyone. Although I, don't, I think that for the typical person, it'll be a lot less generous. But uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be like a welfare state? Well, you can say that, but you oh, know what? Don't it's, say it. Don't say a lo- it. A lot of people, when they hear about a guaranteed income, they, they associate that with socialism. They say, you know, that's a lefty yes. thing. And, and that's one way to look at it. But in fact, historically, the people that have really supported a guaranteed income have been people like Friedrich Hayek, you know, have been conservatives, libertarians even. Um, and the reason is that it is a free market approach to creating a safety net. Instead of having the government come in and nationalize industries in order to create jobs artificially or start building housing for people or taking over people's lives, what you do, you just give people money and then let them go out and participate in the market. So it's actually an idea that has been supported by a lot of libertarians and still I, had support. I think it's inevitable, but, you know, there's been a good and bad with that, too. Because yeah, it, I think that's that's what I say. I think it's inevitable. Eventually, there, there are definitely real challenges. I mean, there, let's not pretend that it's not a big deal. I mean, politically, it's in the United States, at least, it seems almost impossible. And there are genuine concerns. I mean, you know, we can't afford to destroy the incentive to work and, and, and turn everyone into a slacker, for example. That, that's but, a really good point, because don't, don't people need to work? I mean, so they right, stay productive? They're, they're, yeah, I mean, there, there are two things there. Like, the economy right now still needs people to work. Obviously, we don't have an automated economy yet, so we still got to have people to work. So this is something that we'd have to design very carefully. And one of the most important things is, is to not destroy the incentive for people to work on make top more of their money. guaranteed income. Make more money. Right. I mean, the, you know, the worst possible example of of that right now is in the Social Security Disability Program. Which right. A lot of people are using like a guaranteed income, although yes. it's not intended for that. But under that program, once you get into it, you, you go through a lot of hoops to get into it. But it's broke. If, you, if they catch you working, you're gone. You're done. Right. You lose it all. So that's like the worst possible example of how to create Mm. Incentivize that, people not to work. That, that, yeah. that creates that perverse incentive. Right. Once again, it's Robert right. Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is Martin Ford. He's a futurist, New York Times bestseller, author. He's a leading expert on the robot revolution. His books are The Rise of Robots. If you want to figure out what your job's going to be look like, get the book Rise of Robots. And also The Light in the Tunnel talks about how accelerating acceleration is coming down the pike at you right now. So it's a very important subject we're discussing because this whole program is about looking from today into the future. 
So, Martin, you know, one of my friends says that you pay everybody a guaranteed income, crime will go up because people want to make more money. And so the other people will become entrepreneurs and the other half will become criminal entrepreneurs. What do you think about that? Well, you know, maybe that's a concern, but I think that to most people, I'm just will, teasing you. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that that that's fairly speculative. I don't, I don't know that crime would necessarily go up. It depends on what opportunities people have to do useful things with their time. I think in general, it could create a more entrepreneurial economy because if you give yes. people a basic safety net, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be more willing to take a risk. Um, yes. In, in fact, this is a well-known phenomenon in many areas. You know, when they introduced seatbelts in cars, it didn't necessarily cut down on accidents because people took more risks. And you see this all over the place. So I, I think that would happen. Um, is there a concern with people that you know, won't have anything to do and will, you know, engage in undesirable activities? Yes. And that's something we need to think about. I think one thing that's really important is to preserve an incentive for education. So what I would say is that if you graduate from high school, we ought to pay you a little bit more in terms of a guaranteed income than if you drop out, for example, because the last thing we want is lots of uneducated people with no motivation at all running around collecting an income. Um, You're talking about my friends, aren't you? (laughs) So, uh, Right, yeah, well. Um, so you'd have to build incentives into the program so that people would still remain productive or incentivize right, them to be right. productive think, and, and to I do think things. If we really sit down and, and had a lot of smart people think about it, it is possible to design a. a so a smart like people that. meaning, so that's got to be non politicians. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. How about Bernie Sanders? He does a good job of that. Yeah. You know, like when I think about AI, every time I do my spell check, I'm just amazed. How does it know? I don't know. How does it know? You know, that's... Yeah, I mean, it, it's getting better and better. There's a new thing going on in artificial intelligence now that's called deep learning, and it's based on, you know, building systems that are kind of loosely modeled on the way the brain works, and um, that's an idea that's been around for a long time, but around 2006, there were some guys, some really, really smart guys that made breakthroughs in, in this technology, and, so what... and this has now become the technology that Google and Apple and Microsoft and Amazon are using and it's it's just amazing. Uh, Microsoft recently showed uh, their Skype uh, technology that could could translate someone speaking in Chinese. It could translate as they were speaking into English. And, wow. Uh, wow! Which is right out of Star Trek or something. That's we, fantastic. And we and we heard about um, robots that are actually picking strawberries at night. So the workers pick the berries during the day, and robots pick them at night. That's right. I mean, across the board, we're seeing. The, you know, and that's an advance in machine vision, right? Robots can now look at strawberries and figure out what color they are, um, and that's what enables And also dexterity. You know, robots are becoming much more dexterous. They're getting closer to the point of being able to replicate what people do, and that has huge implications. You know, the reason there are so many jobs in China and Indonesia and places you know, like that in factories is that we still can't quite build a robot that can approach what a person can do in terms of fine motor skills and dexterity and visual perception, but that's changing, and when it does change, there's going to be millions and millions of jobs lost in in those developing countries. So this is not just something that's limited to advanced countries like the United States either. It's really a global phenomenon. So, Martin, you know, the other argument that the tech guys say is when when they're creating all these new technological revolutions and think, oh, no, technology is going to create more jobs. Well, it will. What do you say to that? And historically, it always has. That's correct. And so people will look for it, and they'll say it's going to be the same thing as in the past. And 
the, the classic example is agriculture, right? You used to have millions of people working on farms, then, you know, tractors and combines came along and those jobs disappeared. But we didn't have massive unemployment because people moved to manufacturing and then they moved to the service sector. But this time around, uh, you know, it, the technology is really coming for everything. Anything that's on some level routine and repetitive is going to get wiped out. doesn't matter if it's on a farm or in a factory or in an office. And there will, of course, be new jobs created, but the question is, are there going to be enough of them? And I, I believe that, given what I see in technology, there are going to be more jobs destroyed than are created. And I think also that the jobs that are created are very likely to be pretty hard to get. I mean, they're, they're going to require lots of skill, maybe lots of intelligence and capability, you know, maybe a, a technical orientation, lots of math, that kind of thing. So the person that today is driving a taxi you know, when a self-driving car comes along and eliminates that job, we can't necessarily expect to always take that person and turn them into a robotics engineer. So this program is about looking into the future. What advice do you have for our listeners today? Well, you know, the, the, the questions I get are usually, what should I do and what should my kids do? And generally, I think that what you want to do is avoid doing something that's routine and repetitive. I mean, you know, the last thing you want to do is make a big investment if you're a young person uh, going to school to learn something that, you know, it's just doing the same thing again and again. What you want to do is emphasize on creativity. Make sure that you're involved in actually building something or creating something new or in something that really requires a deep interaction with other people. And, again, a good example of that is, is nursing. I think that a lot of healthcare professions are probably relatively safe for the foreseeable future because they have that interaction with people on a very human level and also because very often they require lots of mobility and dexterity and that type of thing. So um, nursing is a great example. But, you know, looking forward, I think that nothing is off the table. You know, eventually almost any kind of job could conceivably be threatened. And we also need to understand that this is going to be a big challenge for society. So it's not just about what should you do or what should your kids do, but it's also about being aware that this is a trend that we're going to have to figure out what to do about. We're now coming to the most popular part of our program is Ask Robert, where you get to send in your personal questions. Before I do, I want to thank Robert J. Bob Gordon, professor at Northwestern University, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, and Martin Ford, futurist, author of The Rise of the Robots and The Lights at the End of the, t Light in the, end of the Tunnel. For those of you who are entrepreneurs, these are very important books to read, because an entrepreneur is working into the future, not the past most of the time. So we're now going to ask Robert, what is it, what's the first question, Melissa? Our first question today comes from John in Austin, Texas, favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Says, I'm a college grad living in one of the hot startup markets in the country. What is your advice when the jobs are shrinking in my area of expertise? That's an excellent question. By the way, we love Austin. Austin's a great city. Just love Austin. Look, everybody today, Kim and I talk about this. I'm writing a new book on it. It's called Plan B. You better have a plan B, you know, because plan B is what happens when you're job disappears. You better have a plan B. Like my old man, my poor dad, you know, his his plan A was get a job and become a professor. Didn't work. No plan B. Got wiped out. Kim, your father had a plan A, but no plan he B. He had a plan A to work his way up the corporate ladder and become company president. And when that didn't happen, uh, there was no plan B. So a lot of people don't have plan Bs, and that's the biggest problem today. But the good thing we love about Austin is because Austin is part of our plan B. We own a lot of real estate there. It's the hottest real estate market, one of the hottest in the whole United States. But for Kim and I, our plan A is we have the Rich Dad Company. Our plan B is we're a real estate company. And when you think that way, you get to see the world a little clearer. 
The idea of job security for life is obsolete, which is why we had Martin Ford and Robert Gordon on our program. And John, being a college grad, listen to this program again and get, I would get Martin Ford's book because he said specifically, don't don't put yourself in a position where the job you're going for is something that's repetitive or can be replaced by a robot in the future. So you really have to think differently. I think it's a lot about thinking differently. So Plan get, B. Yeah, so get Martin's book, Rise of the Robots. And subscribe to Rich Dad and learn how to buy real estate and make money on real estate so you never need that job again. That's what Plan B is supposed to do for you. My dad didn't have one. Kim didn't, Kim's dad didn't have one. Billions of people don't have a plan. I don't B. think a robot can replace a house. They're going to replace you an You've got to have a place to live. Right? You're going to need a toilet. Yep. You're going to need There's water. You're going to need gonna need. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Brittany in Omaha, Nebraska. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. She says, I work in the tech field, and I'm noticing my company hiring in from other countries. Since I believe my job is going to probably move to India, would it be smart to consider following the jobs and just moving to another country? Well, I think you should listen to this program and let your conscience be your guide. I would read the book, The Rise and Fall of American Growth, because that's the issue. You said we talked about Robert J. Bob Gordon. Is the, the modern world, you know, the Western world is old. The new world is young, and the new world are the are the younger countries with younger people who are tech savvy. Such countries are Vietnam, Indonesia, Africa, and India. India is going to be the powerhouse of the world because Indians are very smart people. They're tech savvy, and they'll work for less. So the reason we had Robert J. Gordon and Martin Ford on the program is so you could see into the future. You're looking for a job. You better look at the macroeconomics. Your competitor is now in South America, Brazil, Mexico, Middle East, Africa. You know, don't think about jobs. Don't think about the U.S. Once again, Robert J. Bob Gordon's book, The Rise and Fall of America, technology is going to wipe out more jobs than it replaces. That's what Martin Ford, The Rise of Robots, is saying. You're an entrepreneur. You've got to read those books. Got to take a look into the future. That's why Kim and I have had a plan B as long as we've known each other, right, Kim? Yes, we have. And I think for Brittany, you know, the competition really is AI, is the artificial intelligence. And that's kind of the, the switch in your brain is that it's not so much people and, and countries as it is robots and artificial intelligence because really going to be the new competition. And as Martin says, it's not a robot. It's software. You can't even software, see software. Yep. You can't even see yep. it coming at you. So that's why, ladies and gentlemen, we had Robert Gordon. He's a macroeconomist. You know, Kim and I go round and round because I'm always in macroeconomics. It's called big picture. Kepasa, man, what's going on in the big picture? Not should I move to India? Should I move here? No, this is it. Hey, what's going on in the world? Big picture. And the people in India, Africa, and all the other emerging markets, they'll work for much less than you'll ever work. So you're obsolete anyway. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Josh in New York. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Says Robert, I'm a follower of your teachings and I agree with what you teach. I'm 25 and I have a business plan and I'm currently trying to get my business started. However, gone are the days when you can just walk into a bank and get a loan. What do you suggest for securing the funds I need to get started? I've got news for you. You never walked into a bank for a loan for a business. Banks don't fund startups. That's why you go to private equity, Angel, and all this. When I was your age starting out, you know, I would say, oh, go to the bank. I went to the bank and they laughed in my face. Banks don't fund startups. Get that quickly. They'll fund a franchise, but they won't fund a startup because there's too much you don't know yet. 
bankers don't like taking risks that way. So your job right now is if you're going to be truly be an entrepreneur is you'd better learn how to raise capital. That means there's books on it. You can study how people raise capital. There's crowdfunding and all that, which I don't really support, but I'm sure there's the reason I don't support it is because I don't need to use that skill. I already have the skills and the resources and the education to raise as much money as I want. So you're just starting out. You need to learn to raise capital outside the banking system. Now, as I said to people about Austin, Texas, the reason I'm in Austin, Texas is because of real estate. Banks love real estate. So why the heck do you think I'm in real estate? Not because of anything else, because it's easier to raise money. Real estate is debt and taxes. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, I would watch Shark Tank. <laughs> That's a great show. If, you, if you're if you starting out as an entrepreneur, it's a great show, Shark Tank. And I would also say, you know, we always say money follows management or money follows track record. So that you're a little bit of a catch-22. That's why when Robert and I started, we started our business with, with no money to get the experience and to build up the our, our, our expertise. But if you're just starting out and you don't have a team and you don't have any track record, um, you might want to just start small because raising money is a huge responsibility and taking other people's money. Yeah, and you're, you're the biggest risk of all because you're young. You don't know what you don't know. But anyway, keep going. I encourage you. Um, I'm just giving you some insights. Banks don't lend money for businesses. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>